This is day 88 of our daily Bible reading plan. We will be completing Esther chapter 10, and then we will be going into the book of Job, chapters 1 through 4. Lord Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are with us every morning. We are grateful for this time that we can spend with you, that we can learn to grow in strength and in wisdom and character and in sanctification closer and closer to the image of your Son. We're privileged to have this time and your word in front of us. Lord, please guide us today as we go through your word that we can understand deeper truths within and how we can apply it directly to our lives and the way we conduct ourselves. Lord, cause us to have such boldness for your faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now King Ahasuerus laid a tribute on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the accomplishments of the authority and strength of King Ahasuerus, and the full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second only to King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and in favor with his many kinsmen, one who sought the good of his people, and one who spoke for the welfare of his whole nation. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all the men of the east. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, Perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. 
only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans attacked and took them. They also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people and they died, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, and tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground, and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, 
You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw his pain was very great. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, Let the day perish on which I was to be born, and the night which said, A boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor light shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, Let that night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened, and let it wait for light but have none, and let it not see the breaking dawn. Because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes, Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, and why the breasts that I should suck? For now I would have lain down and been quiet. I would have slept then, I would have been at rest. With kings and with counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves. Or with princes who had gold, who were filling their houses with silver or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be, as infants that never saw light. There the wicked cease from raging, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are at ease together. They do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who suffers, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave? Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food, and my cries pour out like water. For what I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. 
I am not at ease, nor am I quiet, and I am not at rest, for turmoil comes. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered, If one ventures a word with you, will you not become impatient? But who can refrain from speaking? Behold, you have admonished many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. Is not your fear of God your confidence, and the integrity of your ways your hope? Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright destroyed? According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they come to an end. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the whelps of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received a whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread came upon me, and trembling, it made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed by my face, the hair of my flesh bristled up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his Maker? He puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. How much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed before the moth. Between morning and evening they are broken into pieces. Unobserved, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord plucked up within them? They die, yet without wisdom. All right, so this is a pretty short reading today. And we have finished another book of the Bible. We are done with Esther, and now we are in the book of Job, and I love the book of Job, and I actually, just a week or so ago, finished reading this with my kids for our nightly devotions, and really love this book. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this one. So the book of Job is believed to have been taking place around the time of Abraham, and how do we know that? So first off, it talks about a place that Job lives called the land of Uz. And Uz is mentioned in the genealogy of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So they are relatively close in proximity, somewhere between the time of Noah and the time of Abraham, where this is taking place. The other clues that give us that idea as well is that it, there was no mention of a law, right? No law of Moses. 
There's no mention of a nation, Israel. He is going to have lived more than 140 years in age, and that was very common in Abraham's time, less common in Moses' time. And it was his wealth was measured by the amount of livestock that he had, which was a common thing they did before the law came into be. So those are all signs that this took place very early. And more often than not, this book is also attributed to being the oldest written book of the Bible. So not that it is the oldest book in the Bible, obviously not, because the book of Genesis talks about creation. So it was written after the book of Job, we think. But by our understanding, this book is about a real historical person named Job. And we know this because both Ezekiel and James in the Bible reference Job as being a historical person. So the Bible has to reinforce itself, and therefore it has to be true, right? So we don't know who exactly wrote the book of Job, whether it was Job himself or someone of, within this group conversation that we're having. You know, we don't know if it was Moses. We don't know if it was Solomon. We have no idea who actually wrote it, but this was written early. So there's a couple of very interesting things to get out of this reading that we just had. So first off, we're, the overarching theme of Job is going to be the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do righteous people suffer if God is really a God of love? Right, so it's clearly going to be teaching a very important lesson about the sovereignty of God, meaning God is in complete control of everything from beginning to end, and it may not always make sense to us why he does things the way he does. But ultimately, it all has a purpose, and we are so short-sighted most of the time that we don't always see what God is doing. Ultimately, all it comes down to is obedience, that we, don't, we may not understand what he's doing. We don't have to know what he's doing. He doesn't have to tell us what he's doing, but we have to obey. And we have to be at peace and content with his direction in our lives. That's not always easy, right? That's not always easy, but that is what is required of us. So we have to ask ourselves this question, is it okay to ever be angry at God? Is it ever okay to say that you disagree with what God did and you're upset with him? The theme of the Bible and the supporting verses that relate to that the answer is no. It is never okay to be angry with God. Because if we are angry with God, that means he is making mistakes. And God does not make mistakes. So we see in the book of Job, chapter 1, that he is a very wealthy man. I mean, having 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, which a yoke is two of them side by side when they plow. So that's actually a thousand oxen, 500 female donkeys, very many servants, 
and he's got 10 kids and apparently a wife who's going to tell him to curse God. All of that is taken away from him. And it was because Satan got involved. And this book gives you a very interesting perspective of Satan that nowhere else in the Bible gives you. So we learn some very important things about who Satan is in this reading. So first off, it says that that there was a day when the sons of God, which in the Old Testament that referred to the angels. So there was a day the angels had to present themselves before the Lord in some sort of assembly, and Satan was among them. Now, of course, he had already fallen. He had already sinned. And yet he still has access to heaven somehow. So that's an important thing to notice, that he still has access to heaven, at least at this point. And God asks him, where have you come from? It's not that God doesn't know. He just wants to hear Satan's answer, because we need to know where he's come from. Remember, the Bible was written for us. It was written for our instruction. Satan answers him, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. So there's two things I get out of this. One is, there is a very common misconception of where Satan actually is and what he is in control of. The Bible is very clear that Satan is the prince of this world. He is in control of the darkness of this world. There is that common misunderstanding that he is Lord of hell. He is not Lord of hell. He is not in hell. He roams about on the earth. He is not in hell. And so it's not like he has you know, some sort of fiery kingdom that he has a throne on and he just watches people being tortured all day. He doesn't have that. Nor is he going to be lord of it when he goes there. He's going to be destroyed for eternity when he gets to hell. And for now, he roams about on the earth. So he is active in what he's doing in trying to get people to sin and to tempt people, and especially drive Christians astray. Like, what does Peter say? He roams around and prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And you roam around because he says right here that he roams about on the earth. So that matches up perfectly. Now, it also shows that Satan has power over the world, right? Because Satan was allowed to do the following things. He incited Sabaeans, which the Sabaeans were nomadic people living in this land. He incited them to attack Job. You know how he can put that temptation in your heart of pride and arrogance and inciting war? He has that ability to put that in people's heads. So that's one power that he has. It also said that the fire of God fell from heaven. Now, we don't know exactly what that was. We don't know if that was lightning or if it was literally fire. 
And sometimes they call fire of God, they call it light, lightning fire of God. But we don't know if it's that in this case. So obviously he's got some sort of power that he can manifest in the earthly realm that looks supernatural. And it is supernatural. So he did that and it, he burned up all the livestock with that. And then we have the Chaldeans, which are the early version of the Babylonians. And then we have the winds blew to knock down the house of Job's kids. And so Satan does have some dominion over the forces of earth. And he used those against Job. Not only that, but also we see that he is able to give Job physical ailments, which is interesting because he also has control over our health and over our ability to do things. You know, he, he actively intervenes when God allows him. And that's the important thing we have to take away from this is that God is not the one that does this to us. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he just allows it to happen. That's called a permissive will. His perfect will is to do good all the time because he is nothing but good. You, he is perfect. But at the same time, he will allow things that are outside of him to happen. For example, you do something illegal, right? Or you do something that is very sinful and affects people around you, God will forgive you. But he will allow the consequences to happen, the natural consequences. So it's not that he forced those consequences on you. It's he allowed them to happen because you need to learn the lesson or there's some reason why. But in this case, he simply just allowed Satan the ability to do as he pleased within certain limits. And that's the important thing we have to understand is Satan is powerful. Satan is someone that we should not underestimate, right? However, if we trust who God is, Satan can't do anything without God's permission. There's going to be times where God will say, that's enough. This is the limitation you have on what you can do. We have to trust that because we need not be afraid of someone who is controlled by God, right? God has authority over Satan. Why he allows him to do what he does, I don't fully understand myself, but he has control over what Satan is allowed to do. And he puts limits on him constantly. That's the God we serve. And so if we trust God will protect us from Satan, he has the power and the authority to do it. And we just need to trust him with that. May I be like Job in those days of adversity. I don't have nearly the problems that Job has here. And yet he held fast to his integrity. And I hope when hard times come for me and for you, that we can be even a fraction like Job. What does he say? All these things happen. All his kids are killed all at once. All his livestock is taken. 
All his possessions are gone. And what does he say? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And he means it, too. He's not just saying that. He means it. It says this, he did not sin, nor did he blame God. He didn't blame God, because that is sin, right? What he's trying to say here is blaming God for something is sin. Accusing God of wrongdoing is sin. And being angry towards God is sin. So Job did none of those things. Then Satan pushes it even further. Afflict his physical ability. A man will do anything to not die. And God put, lets him do as much as he can without actually killing him. So he gives him sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, we're not exactly sure what those are, but I can imagine they're like very painful blisters or some sort of like leukemia of the skin, you know, something very serious. And it was just probably the peak of human suffering beyond the cross. And I mean, he's literally getting a pot shirt, you know, a piece of broken pottery and scraping himself with it to try to just ease the pain very terrible situation that Job is in. And then what does his wife do? Oh, baby, we'll get through this. Hang in there. Trust the Lord. Right? That's what she says? No! She says, curse God and die. Why are you still holding on to your integrity? Just curse him and die. Get it over with. Get your misery over with. Just die and be done with it. What a great woman, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, great example. And he says, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Should we indeed, and this is a very good point for us, shall we indeed accept good things from God and not accept adversity? Why is it okay for us to accept all the good things from God, but not the bad things? And Job is right. The bad things need to happen to us in order for us to be strengthened, to learn the lesson. Because usually through adversity, there's some sort of lesson that God's trying to teach us through it. And then, I hope I never have friends like this. But Job had three friends that came to visit him. They saw that he was in such misery, they sat down with him for a whole week. Didn't say anything to him, but just to be there and morally support him, which is beautiful to see. That is very nice. But when they start opening their mouth, you can see where their hearts are. And you're going to see this common theme throughout the rest of this reading. They have a great misunderstanding of how God handles things. And they make the same mistake that is made throughout different other portions of the Bible as well. Essentially, they come to the same conclusion. All of Job's suffering is because he's a sinner. He, all the only bad things happen to bad people. And that is a gross misunderstanding. So, and that's what the whole point of Job is to show us. Is that we are 
allowed to have things happen in our lives, whether we sinned or not. Adversity is going to come. Like it says elsewhere in the New Testament, if you are following the gospel of Jesus Christ and you are obedient to it, meaning you are trying to make disciples of all nations, you're actively sharing the gospel with people, you will be persecuted. That is a promise. Jesus himself said something like that as well. You will be persecuted in his name because you are following him. So is it because I'm a sinner? No, it's because that is a natural consequence to a godly person being in a sinful world. And the same thing with this understanding here is all suffering has nothing to do with sin sometimes. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't. God is ultimately sovereign over you and your body and your mind and your heart and everything. So it's not always because you've been a bad boy, so thing, bad things are going to happen to you. That's, that's a worldly system like karma. Karma is not a biblical concept, and we cannot re relate God like that. What goes around comes around. That whole concept does not work. It's clearly in, stated in the Bible that God does reward people who are obedient to him and that he does punish evildoers. But it doesn't mean that all adversity is because of sin. Sometimes you will do everything perfectly right and bad things will still happen. And there's a reason for it. So we need to understand this because his friends here do not understand that. It's the same understanding that even Jesus' disciples had. We're going to read about that later, right? But they meet a man who's born blind. And they ask Jesus, why was he born blind? Who sinned? Did he sin? Or did his parents sin to cause him to be born blind? See, that same misunderstanding. And that, this was thousands of years after Job. So the problem hasn't changed. And what does Jesus say? He's like, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. He was born blind so that the power of God may be manifested in him. That is why I made him the way I did. And that's how Jesus was really trying to say it, because he is our God creator. I made this man born blind so that he could glorify me and that my glory will be manifest through him. That is the God we serve. So chapter 3, we see Job is in such misery that he is, just wants to die. He just wants to die. He He's in such pain and sorrow that he wishes he was never born. And he makes that very clear for a whole chapter. And then you see his first friend, Eliphaz, step in. And he says some good nuggets of wisdom here, but some of his understanding is flawed. But he does make some good points. So in verse 6, he does say, Is not your fear of God your confidence? 
and the integrity of your ways your hope. That should be ours. The fear of God should be our confidence. And the integrity of our ways should be our hope. Sanctification, that is the process of being made holy. That is how we should be. Now he's wrong about this in verse 8. According to what I have seen, those who plow iniquity and those who sow trouble harvest it. Yes, but not always. Right? That's where the whole point we're talking about. And here's another one here. Verse 17. Can mankind be just before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? And what is the answer to that? No, we cannot. We are not capable of being pure. The only means of holiness that we can achieve is that through Jesus Christ because of the imputation of his righteousness upon us. That's the only reason why God is able to look at us and not be offended by us. Because remember, he cannot tolerate sin, nor will he look at it. But only through the righteousness and perfection of Christ are we clean enough to be looked at by God. So can a man be pure before his maker? Not by himself. Only through Christ. Verse 18, he puts no trust even in his servants, and against his angels he charges error. Angels are capable of making mistakes, and they did. We read elsewhere that a third of the angels fell with Satan. One third of the angels. We don't know how many angels there are, but it's a lot. I mean, we beyond count. And they fell with Satan. They sinned, and because they sinned, they lost access to heaven. And the angels that fell from heaven, today we call those demons. So be very careful with these, because we always associate demons with being some sort of earthly thing, or that they have dark origins. They don't have a dark origin. They actually have an origin of light and perfection, much like humans did at the very beginning, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were perfect. But then they sinned, and they were no longer perfect. One distinct difference between an angel sinning and a man sinning is that man has a plan of redemption. Angels do not have a plan of redemption. And you may think, well, that's not fair. How come God gave us a way to be saved, but not angels? Think about it like this. We are asked to trust and believe in something that we cannot see, right? We've never seen God. I've never seen Jesus in the flesh, and yet I'm asked to believe in him, and I do. The angels had direct access to God. We see that in chapter 1, right? They had to assemble before the Lord and present themselves to him. They were in the direct presence of God Almighty. There is no greater or higher honor or ability to commune with God by being directly in his presence. And if you cannot 
hold fast to your holiness. Through that, there's no way you're going to. This is the highest means of holiness that you can achieve. And if you fall from that, then there is no salvation for you. That is why angels don't have the plan of redemption. They saw God face to face, and they were not satisfied with it. Therefore, they fell, and great was their fall. We see the very beginning of Job was very uh, insightful, as well as so much here that we can glean from this, but this commentary is not going to take nearly as long on these other chapters because this was a very interesting backdrop, not only from, you know, how God works, but also a unique vantage point into how Satan is and what he's able to do. So I wanted to establish that before we moved any further into Job. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.